Abba Father, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to gather together and worship and hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and open our minds and hearts to the word you have for us today. Comfort us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, Lord, so that we may be your people and seek your face more and more. pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So during the Advent season, we prepare for Christmas, for that glorious day of celebration. We pour our hopes and expectations and our desires into this beautiful day of family and friends and good food, of joy and happiness. But often, either on the day or as the hours creep by on the morning after or the weeks that follow, we realize it just didn't fulfill everything we hoped it would. Whatever presents we got didn't satiate us. Our time with family was the same as always, a mix of joy and trouble. And the obligatory kindness of the season drains out of the people as they grumpily try to return their unwanted gifts the next day. We had such great hopes and expectations. What happened? One of my favorite sort of Christmas songs is Yesu, Joy of Man's Desire. It speaks of being drawn to Jesus because he is the most holy, beautiful, and wise, loving being. But is it true? Is Jesus the joy of man's desire? We need only look around the world and into our own hearts and see that, while it sounds really nice and it's a really beautiful song, Jesus is usually not my heart's greatest desire. If anything, it's one desire among many desires, and not usually the loudest. But let me suggest something to you, that the desires that crop up during Christmas, those cravings for for family, for being known, the desire to belong, for for being a part of something greater, all of these things are signs that you were meant for something more, You were meant not just to twiddle your life away, running after the latest whatever. You were meant for something greater. Now the Christian faith argues that that something greater is is called life in God. St. Thomas Aquinas called it friendship with God. St. Peter in his epistle called it partaking of the divine nature. St. Augustine called it resting in God. That greater something we are looking for, wherever we are looking, is God, an eternal life with him. Now, this desire pops up in a lot of different aspects of our life, but probably one of the deepest and most uh, universal aspects is the desire for relationship, for belonging, for home. In the song, Hello, My Old Heart, the band, Yo Hellos, hits this feeling right on the head. This this is how one of the lyrics goes. For having loved a little, I don't want to be alone. I want to find a home, and I want to share it with you. When we experience love or desire desire someone, we we discover that we we don't want to be alone. We want to find home. We want to share it with others. But that desire is complex and often goes a little wonky. 
In a recent interview in Christianity Today, theologian Russell Moore said this about our desires. We are all restlessly searching for home. That's why scripture uses the language of pilgrim and wayfarer so often. One of our greatest difficulties is thinking we'll find a permanent home somewhere this side of the kingdom. I know single Christians who feel a sense of longing and think that longing will be resolved once they're married. Or infertile Christians, as once I was, longing for children and thinking that once children come along, the restlessness will disappear. Even worse, I'll meet married people who assume that their restlessness means they should find another soulmate. Our desire for a home, for a soulmate, for children, all point us to the deepest desire. We might not even realize that we have it, but it points us to our desire for God. But so often, rather than sitting with that restlessness and pursuing God, we distract ourselves and ignore it. We, by going to things or people or places that satiate that, that longing, that restlessness. But they never do. It never lasts, and when they don't, we get frustrated. We get sad, and we get lonely, and we get anxious, and we wonder, will we ever find home? This cycle of desire is one aspect of what John in his gospel calls being in darkness. Darkness for John is the darkness of ignorance and rebellion. We're ignorant, he says, sometimes willfully, sometimes not, of, of what we were created for, that we were created for life in God. And we rebel against that. We reject that life, looking for other things and people and places to fulfill that desire. And that's why Jesus came, to reveal to us that he is the answer to our deepest longings and desire, and to provide the way for us to be fulfilled by becoming children of God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you might be thinking, how can a mere man, a historical figure like Jesus of Nazareth, be the desire and fulfillment of every person? It's a good question, and it is one that John's prologue, in part, seeks to answer. So let us turn to John 1.1 and see what God reveals in this passage. In verse 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word. Now, there's a lot going on here, so let me break it down a little bit word by word. Now, the beginning, this word, the beginning, draws us back to Genesis 1.1, the beginning of Scripture. And that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, you might think, this is where John begins his gospel, in the beginning. But he shifts time on us. He says, was. The word was in the beginning. Why does he do this? Because it places the word before creation. This word wasn't just in the beginning. He wasn't a, the first of God's creation. He was present for the beginning of creation, which means he existed before anything and everything else existed. Before there was a created world, the word was. And this word is Jesus. Jesus isn't, then, isn't just a human being. He is much more than that. Amazingly and wonderfully, John is saying that he is God. From before all time, Jesus is God. Now, Jesus, John continues that this word who was before creation was with God and was God. And so what does that mean? 
Simply and mysteriously, it means this. The word is both distinct from God and eternally is God. Now, any Jew, like John himself, would have found this statement quite alarming. How can Jesus be God? Israel, from the beginning, confessed that there was one God, perhaps most famously stated in their confession, the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if God is one, how can the word be God? How can Jesus be God? Now, John doesn't really answer the how question. But he shows us that Jesus understood himself as both God and the eternal Son of God, the Father, throughout the gospel. In John's gospel, uh, Jesus identifies himself with the holy name of God. I am, Jesus calls himself in seven different ways, claiming that he is identical with the God of Israel. He also calls God Father and identifies him as the Father's Son, showing that they are distinct. And he also says in John 10, 13, 30, that he and the Father are one. Jesus constantly moves between statements of identity and distinction to show us that he is God, and he and God the Father are distinct. Paul, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus and immediately called him Lord, actually takes the Shema and reformulates it. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, what the Shema confesses, the Father, from whom all th are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Paul confesses that there is our God, one God, the Father, who creates all things, and one Lord. The two names that the Shema uses to identify the one God. Jesus is put right into the middle of the Shema and, call, and seen as identical with God the Father, having the same being and character. So the word who is God is Jesus. The one who John walked with for three years, who he deeply cared for and saw die and rise from the dead, he existed before the world. He is God and with God. Well, why is this so important? Why is it important that Jesus is God and with God? There are quite a few reasons, but to focus these reasons on why Jesus is the joy of man's desiring, consider these two points. If Jesus is the word of God, which means that he's the exact imprint or likeness of God, the Father, then he and the Father are identical in every aspect of their character and being. While distinct in relationship, they are same in, the same in being. And this means something quite revolutionary. This means when we meet Jesus, we meet God himself. There is no angry, legalistic, raging father hiding behind Jesus. Jesus reveals the true face of God. Jesus reveals that God is so for us and so interested in taking care of us that he will do anything and everything to redeem us including taking our sin and our darkness and the punishment that we have brought upon ourselves and taking it upon himself to give us true life. Jesus is also with God. 
Which means that this extravagant, loving, eternal relationship between the eternal Father and the eternal Son is what he invites humanity into through his saving life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is the Son of God and invites all of humanity into that relationship as brothers and sisters. So how does this occur? How does the Word of God bring this beautiful reality into our lives? John opens up this mystery in the next few verses. In verse 4, John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Now throughout the Old Testament, the image of light and life are connected to God in his illuminating and saving work. Consider Psalm 36, 9. For you, in you, is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. Now the psalmist is describing Yahweh, the Lord God, and John and using the same language, is identifying these attributes of God with the divine word. God the Father is the fountain of life, and Jesus is life itself. God the Father is the light, and in his light we see the self-same divine and radiant light of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. These verses again identify God the Father and Jesus as distinct, and yet separably, inseparably one, and they also show us the mission of the Son of the eternal word. He is the life and light of humanity who has come into the darkness. As Anglican scholar Rod Whitaker explains, in this gospel, light always refers to the revelation and salvation that Jesus is and offers. In order to have life, we need to know God and Jesus is our, and Jesus is our source of such knowledge. The word Jesus Christ is the revelation, salvation, and way to God. He is both the one we were created to desire because he is God. And he is the way our desire is fulfilled because he became fully human to save us from darkness. So when the light of the world came into the world, he reveals the truth of our situation. He reveals that we are in darkness. Later in John's Gospel, in a conversation with a Pharisee, this is what Jesus says about the darkness. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Friends, we restlessly run from the light and continue to do the works of darkness, the works of satisfying ourselves apart from God. This darkness affects our relationships in very real ways. We look to relationships. We look to our friends. We look to our families. We look to significant others to fulfill our longing for belonging, for our longing for home. But they can't, simply put. And when they can't, we get hurt, and we hurt them. And we turn in ourselves, and we live selfishly and pridefully. And honestly, things kind of get a little wonky. Our moral compass gets confused, because we are avoiding the truth of the light and life of the world. Now, the world that we live in, I think, is pretty obviously uh, in darkness. Our culture, our Society uh, often calls what is good evil and what is evil good. Now, it's easy to judge our culture and sort of stand outside and think that we're not a part of it. But let me ask, where 
is that in your own hearts? Where does your restlessness drive you to hurt yourself and others? What sins, attitudes, and habits in our relationships do we justify as being not that bad, but according to God's life and law are actually darkness? What in our life do we call good that is actually evil? Consider, are you judgmental? Are you habitually looking at pornography? Are you habitually overeating? Do you disrespect your wife, your husband, your significant other? Are you resentful of where life has taken you? Do you passively ignore the calling of God on your life to love your family, your neighbors, and serve the body of Christ? This is all acts of darkness. If you live with sin and think about it as not as bad as those people over there, you're either living in darkness or flirting with the darkness that you've been set free from in Christ. And apart from Christ, we are all in darkness. But the life and light of the world does not leave us there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word who is God and it, who was with God and is God, the eternal begotten Son of God, the light of the world, became flesh. He entered our situation. He entered human life. He came to reveal and save humanity, to heal us of our ignorance and save us from our darkness. This is a, a beautiful quote, one of my favorites from St. Augustine, speaking of the mystery of the Incarnation. He, speaking of Jesus, he who sustains the world lay in a manger. A wordless child, yet the word of God. Him whom the heavens do not contain, the bosom of one woman bore. Mary ruled our king. She carried in him, carried him in whom we exist. She fed our bread. O oh, manifest weakness and marvelous humility in which all divinity lay hid. The light came into the darkness to reveal to us that the longings of our heart were always God. And to heal our hearts, to reorient us from death to life, from darkness to light. So in the manger, the creator of the world lay, dwells hidden. In humility, the light has come to punch holes in our darkness and to shine forth the light of life. Salvation has arrived to bring grace and truth. And how does he do it? <coughs> the last few verses of John's prologue, we see that the word of God became flesh. And in his humility, he reveals the glory of God and gives the world and those who receive him grace and truth. Now, in the Gospel of God, John, the glory of God is, is a strange glory. It is ultimately revealed in the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a truly horrible death. How could we call it glory? The death of Jesus is his glorification because in his death, Jesus reveals the infinite depths of the triune God of grace, and God's love for his creation. 
He takes on himself the death that we deserved. He takes our sin and our darkness, the sin and sin itself, and he gives us his eternal and joyous forgiveness and love. The Son of God was made a sharer in our mortal nature so that mortals might become sharers in his Godhead, as St. Augustine said. Friends, we were not made to be slaves to sin. We were not made to be hateful and resentful. We were not made for darkness. We were made for life and life with God. Friendship with God. We were made to rest in God. Jesus is the joy of our desiring and the one who gives us life with God. And that sharing in God's life is the grace and truth that Jesus gives us through his death and resurrection. The grace to become children of God. This is how St. Paul says it in his letter to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The life of a Christian, newly born or long-lived, is the life of being united to Jesus Christ, who gives us the right and privilege of being sons and daughters of God. We are given the eternal loving relationship of God, the Father and Son, to live in, to make us whole, to give us our true home. Now John's Gospel continues to unfold how Jesus reveals and saves humanity from the darkness. This, after all, is just the prologue. But in this prologue, we've heard the extravagant good news of the incarnation of Christ. The Son of God has become human, so that by God's grace, we can be children of God. The incarnation, which we celebrate during this season of Christmas, it reveals the eternal, extravagant, infinite, and expansive love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father sends his Son to reveal who God is and save humanity from their darkness and to give the gift of being children to all who believe. If you are in Christ, you've been brought out of the darkness and into the light, and you are invited to enjoy and delight in the triune God as the one who loves you with an infinite love. You are loved, infinitely so. And that love changes us. As Paul famously said, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because we are loved and filled with God's love, we can love and delight in God and love others through him. This is how a theologian, Michael Reeves, in his book, Rejoicing in Christ, which I can't recommend enough, describes being a child of God. Believers receive the very spirit of the Son, and he wakes us up to share the holy tastes of the Son. I begin to cry out to God like I've never cried out before. I call him my Abba, my dear Father. The spirit of adoption brings me to share the Son's own affections for his Father. And for the first time, I fulfill what I am made for. I love the Lord my God. Like Christ, I find I want to be with him. 
I want to pour out my heart to him. I want to please him, and I want to find my rest in him. This is the life God gives to all who believe in his son. This is the life we are all invited to live in today. When we realize that we are home in God, that our home is God, friends, we can begin to love others and serve others because we are no longer looking, no longer looking for them to fulfill us. When we rest in God, we can share that rest with others. So, during Christmas, we celebrate that we were created and are created for life with God and in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We are welcome to his infinite life and love. This is what Jesus brings in his incarnation. This is what we celebrated and continue to celebrate. Jesus is the home and belonging and friend and love we are all searching for. May we continually seek him and be found in him today. Let us pray. Abba, Father, we praise you and thank you for your love that you sent your Son to catch us up into the infinite love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pour upon us your Spirit this day that we may experience that love and share it with others, Lord. Move in our hearts to cast away all those things that are not of you as we become more and more like you through your Spirit. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.